Jeremy DeBortis, Matt said, uh, thankful to get, to get up here and preach to you guys. Matt's been doing it the last three weeks. Our schedule's got a little thrown off, so we'll see if I still remember how to do this as we continue on. Uh, if you're new this morning, we're going through the book of First Thessalonians, and we're calling the sermon series More and More, investigating what was so uh, special about this church. Paul has a unique relationship with this church. Uh, so we want to go through it and say, all right, Lord, as you did it, amongst them, do it amongst us. So we are exploring this book this morning. And this morning we find ourselves in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 5 through 13. Now we're going to pick through it individually as we go. But this morning, or this week as I was preparing, I actually got to uh, talk with a Bible scholar, a uh, well-renowned Bible scholar. I got to ask him a few questions, sent him an email, asked him a few questions about the book, and I want to share his response with you about this passage. He said, after reading it, this is a difficult passage to preach on. It's kind of quirky. Glad you have it. Um, so just a treasure trove of help uh, as I prepared this morning. But as quirky, and it is, it's a strange passage, uh, but as quirky and difficult as it can be, let's dive into it uh, together and asking God to illuminate it to us to help us grow. And as we get there, uh, we won't rehash the whole book, uh, but, but uh, Matt's been talking about it the past few weeks, uh, that what's going on is Paul planted this church in Thessalonians, he gets pulled away, and he's kind of worried about this young church, how's their faith doing, he can't get there, so he sends his good buddy Timothy uh, to check on them, and Timothy comes back, gives them a report, and then Paul pins this letter. Now, something this morning uh, if you just even look down at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, uh, our passage this morning, the word faith is prominent in the passage. It's mentioned four times in the three sections, uh, and it's alluded to more and, over, more and more in passing. And what we're going to see is that the Thessalonians' faith had a deep impact on Paul and the people around him. But before we get into that, before we talk about that, I think it's important to talk about this word faith. It's a word if you grow up in church, you've heard it a lot. If you're familiar with Christianity in any way, you hear them talk about faith. But what is faith? If you got home, you got out of the driveway and all of a sudden an alien beamed down uh, into your front yard, uh, you know, in 2023, I guess I wouldn't, ex you know, I wouldn't be surprised at this point. But if an alien beamed down and was like, hey, we've heard you earthlings talk about this, what, what is faith? How would you answer that? How would you answer that question, what is faith? Now, we live uh, in a post-enlightenment world uh, where we kind of are what we think, right? I think, therefore I am. That's kind of the prevailing logic, that what you think is really the truth. And it's infected the church. And most people, I believe, think faith is just simply a mental affirmation that something is true. To have faith in Jesus means, well, I believe certain facts about Jesus. Faith is definitely no less than mental affirmation than believing that Jesus was who he said he was. But faith is much more than that. So I took some time this week to try to answer that question. Uh, so I wrote out this definition. It's a little long, but I'll, I'll, I'll get to the main point. But it says this, faith I say, faith is not simply a matter of accepting certain doctrines or propositions, but rather a way of life. 
that involves both mind and heart. It's a holistic concept that requires both intellectual assent and personal trust and consists of commitment to live out the implications of that trust in one's thoughts, words, and actions. To say it another way, faith is a way of life. Faith is embodied. It's not just what we believe with our heads. It it affects every part of who we are. Let's look at a few verses, a few verses, I think, to enlighten this a little bit. Romans 10, verse 9 through 10. If you declare with your mouth, that's your body, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess and are saved. James chapter 2, verse 17. In the same way, faith by itself, it is not, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Or how about this from the Old Testament? Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through 6. This doesn't sound like just simple mental belief to me. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Faith is not just something that floats around in our minds. I think a good way to think about this is a chair. I'm really branching out my preaching skills here and trying a, uh, a prop, I guess. Is that what this is? It's to think about a chair. Now, uh, mentally, we can affirm, okay, this is a chair. Uh, people made chairs so that we could sit in them and get rest if we're tired. Uh, or to sit at a desk to write. That's what a chair is for. That's what I believe about chairs. But what if I had like a special chair in my house, and every time you came over to my house, I talked about that chair. I was like, oh man, this is my favorite chair. It's so comfortable. It's incredible. When I get really tired, you know, it'll support me. It'll refresh me. This is my favorite chair. I love it. Let's say One Saturday, you came over, and we did like a grueling round of just yard work. You're just such a loving person. You came. You helped me do all this yard work. Morning to evening, we go inside. We're worn out. We're tired. You flop down on the couch, and then I kind of get over to the chair, and I lean, and I just say, this chair would be so comfortable if I sat in it. Like, I know it would be. It would just be so refreshing and so comfortable. I'm so tired. I feel like I'm about to pass out. This chair would be so comfortable. And I never sat in the chair. What would you begin to think about me? I think that's what faith is. That picture, that's what faith is for most people. Yes, I affirm Jesus. Yes, I can give you all the details about why Jesus came. Yes, I can affirm a few things in the Bible. I know the Apostles' Creed. I even argue for Jesus on my social media page. So, of course, I have faith in Jesus. But if you, if you never sit down in the chair, do you, what do you believe about the chair? If your faith isn't embodied, if you can't look at your life and say, here's what Jesus calls me to do and here's how I'm doing it. If I talk all the time about, you know, Jesus' love and the call to love our enemies and someone looks at me and says, well, what enemies are you currently loving? None. That would seem a little strange. Faith 
is a way of life. Chairs are meant to be sat in. Faith is meant to be lived with our bodies. It's embodied in us. So yes, mental affirmation and also a way of life. So what I want to do is hold that definition of faith in your hand as an embodied way of life. Now, this, well, with my remaining time, I want to look at how the Thessalonians' faith impacted Paul. They did it in four specific ways. Faith endured, faith encourages, faith grows, and faith expressed. Let's look at the first one. Faith endures. So let's get out our Bibles. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting in verse 5. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I, being Paul, sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought us good news about your faith and love. He told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. So Timothy, or so Paul starts this work. He knows there's difficult times on the horizon. And he says, I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you. He was afraid that their faith wasn't going to make it. Now, it's safe to assume that the tempter here is Satan. Paul, or not Paul, Matt talked about Satan last week. Remember how he blocked, the Thessal- he blocked Paul from getting to the Thessalonians? He's pretty active in this letter, if you read it. He's, he's doing a lot here at this church. But Paul's worried that some time of temptation is going to come upon this church and that their faith wasn't going to endure. Now, Paul doesn't mention exactly how this works, but I think I can kind of paint the picture for you about what faith would have been like for this church living in, in the world and inhabited. And I think what you'll see is it's in some ways really different, and in some ways it's not very different than the world we find ourselves in. You see, the Romans had established in their empire kind of an unprecedented time of peace, a thousand years of relative peace in the empire. That's like staggering to think about. When you think about what came before Rome and what came after Rome, it's staggering that they were able to hold this peace. And for the most part, people were free to kind of do what they needed to do. They, do, they weren't worried about bandits. They weren't worried about wars like Rome had, had conquered. And in reality, nobody really cared about what God you worshipped. The Romans didn't. As long as you were peaceful, as long as you didn't rock the boat, go worship whoever. And everybody kind of existed that way until something bad happened to the city. Maybe there was a random barbarian invasion. Maybe the river flood. Maybe there was rain that washed out the crops. And the town would get together and they'd say, man, what have we done to make the gods angry at us? And they would talk about this. And you know what would come up? Well, you know, ever since Bob started following the way, you know, he hasn't been down at the temple. I haven't seen him at the festival. Oh, yeah, well, you know, Susan, she doesn't pay tithes to the, the Romans. Um, I bet you they made Zeus angry. You know, we need to go and kind of have a talk with him and figure out what's going on. Tertullian was an early church father, and he writes this. If the Tiber, that's a river, rises, if the Nile does not rise, if the heavens give no rain, if there is an earthquake, famine, or pestilence, straight away the cry is Christians to the lion. 
everybody do your own thing, but when something goes wrong, they're going to look for people to blame, and they're going to blame the people that don't worship the same gods. Now, how would you respond nowadays if someone knocked on your door why, asking you why you're not worshiping what everybody else worships? That seems like crazy. That would never happen. Well, for some of our brothers and sisters around the world, that is a reality. But for us in the world that we inhabit in Western civilization, I can assure you, friends, that there are beliefs, there are practices that you as a Christian hold on to and believe that society will look at and say you are a danger to the peace and prosperity of human flourishing if you believe that. It's you Sunday. So think about middle schoolers and high schoolers, right? You, you follow Jesus. You follow the way. Jesus says, love your enemies. Jesus identifies with people who maybe aren't the most popular and cool. How do you handle you? How does your faith play out when the person nobody likes? And maybe there's a reason for them not to like them. Maybe he or she's just a big jerk. They're mean. And everyone in the school doesn't want to have anything to do with this person. They hate this person. But God's called you to... And however it looks, love and serve this person. How does your faith stack up when those things happen? When you're forced, when there's pressure to not endure, to give in, what do you do? The Thessalonians had a faith that endured. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought us good news about your faith. They didn't give in. They endured. They held tight to Jesus. And something happened because of it. Because they endured, because when Christians live an embodied life of faith, they become an encouragement to those around them, which is the next mark of the Thessalonians' faith. Their faith, faith encourages. Listen to how Paul says it in verse 7. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distresses and persecutions, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of God because of you? We read here, Paul's going through his own persecutions and distresses. Paul, he just needed a win. Have you ever felt that way? Has life just been really hard? And you just, it, you, you feel like a failure, you mess, I just need some sort of win. I think parents understand this in, to some extent. I know there have been times uh, when I witness my two loving daughters yell and scream at each other, and I just think, I'm doing, like, this cannot be right. Like, uh, I baptize these little kids, like, they should uh, not be acting this way. Did I not do it right? Like, what? Well, like, I... I, maybe it's me. I got to change everything I know about parenting. Like we got to try something else and you just, you need a win and you feel like you're about to give up. And then all of a sudden one like apologizes or the other one like bandages up their boo-boo and you just think like, oh my gosh, okay, yes. We could keep going. Maybe I am on the right track. This is where Paul was. His life was unbearable. Distresses, persecution. He needed a win and he got one at this church. Their faith helped Paul endure his own round of misery. And it became such a joy, such a source of encouragement and joy. Listen to how Paul, uh, like any, any good Southerner, speaking hyperbolically, says this. For now we really live since you are standing in the Lord. 
How can we thank God enough for your return, for all the joy we have in the presence of God because of you? He's thrilled. He's over the moon that their faith is enduring, that their faith is enduring. And it becomes such a joy, such a source of encouragement. He says, I can't even praise God enough in his presence for everything that you're doing. Now, if you're a small group leader here at Rooftop, I'm praying this for you as I'm praying it for me, that we could be so excited when we see the people that God's given us and entrusted us living out their faith, that it causes us to live, to come alive. Have you ever like needed that source of encouragement? You needed that joy. You needed something in your life. I've experienced this in many ways. Definitely more than I deserve, but I want to share two in particular that stand out to me. Uh, like any pastor slash human being on earth, <laughs> uh, sometimes I get bummed out about my job. Um, sometimes I think I'm just not a good pastor. Like, I didn't get back to that email. You know, I wasn't really present with that person on Sunday. They said, hey, and oh, I forgot that person's name. Like, I'm, I'm the word. I'm not communicating this right. What am I doing with my life? Like, this is just awful. When that happens, I have a box in my office. And when I can remember, I go to that box, I open it up, and it's all the cards uh, that I've gotten through people from over my ministry life. I put them in that box. And what I do is I get them out and I read them. Much like Paul, I read those letters. And it encourages me. And I do something else. Uh, I usually look at this picture. Now, uh, I'm an old person, and I don't know how to pull pictures off Facebook. So it looks like we're in witness protection program, uh, but we're not. Uh, that's me. But from where you're at, it might look normal. But um, So that's me. Uh, many years ago, when I first started out in youth pastoring, and the three men next to me uh, are currently serving uh, local churches as youth pastors, associate pastors, uh, they're just men, they're just uh, men, <laughs> they weren't men then, they're men now who love God and they serve the church, they serve his body in incredible ways. And I read those letters and I look at this picture and I think, man, okay, maybe as bad as I am at this, God is with me. God's going to do it. And it encouraged me and I keep going. Now that works for me, but what about you? When you need to be encouraged, who or what do you turn to? My prayer, and I know Matt's, and I hope everyone here at Rooftop, is that we can turn to one another. It's a callback uh, from a sermon series earlier. That we can be one another. We can be a source of joy and encouragement as we see each other living out an embodied faith. And as great as their faith was, this is what, I, this kind of blows my mind. As great as their faith was, Paul says it, right? Your faith is great. It's encouraging me. It's enduring. This is amazing. It can still grow. Because our third mark, faith grows. Chapter 10, night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. Now there's a lot to say here, particularly about faith, but one thing I want to mention is something that just kind of hit me this week as I was 
diving into this verse. And when stuff hits me like this, I got to pass it along to you. Is Paul's commitment to prayer. Listen to what he says. Night and day we pray most earnestly. Is there anything in your life right now going on that you would look at someone and say, hyperbolically, right? Night and day, I'm praying for this most earnestly. Is there anything going on that would cause you to do that? You have kids. If you have a family, you have kids. Are you praying for those kids? If you have a spouse, would you say you're earnestly praying for them? If you have something in your life maybe that's keeping you from progressing kind of in your walk with Jesus, like a sin that just keeps tripping you up, a habit, just like some personality thing that you just can't seem to work out, that you're just praying, God, help me. Do you have good friends in your small group that you're saying, I love these people, I need to pray for them? Is there something in your life right now? Newsflash, there's probably a billion things in your life right now that you need to be praying earnestly about. Mine too. But think about that. All right, back to it. Paul here is laboring in prayer to be reunited with this young church. That's his prayer. He's praying nine day for it. I really want to get back so that, as he puts it, he can supply what is lacking in your faith. Now, this is interesting. Uh, the, the Greek word there for supply is katarizo. And uh, it was used around this time to talk about equipping an army for battle. Giving them specifically what they needed to fight a specific opponent. Now, think about it. He's not saying your faith is bad, right? Because he just said it's such an encouragement. I can't even thank God for how great it is, right? But what he's saying is that it can grow, that there's specific challenges and things coming down the pipe to you that I want to get with and talk with you about and pray with you about so that it can grow. Embodied faith grows. Now, let's be clear. It's not always like straight up to the moon. Oftentimes, it's one step forward, two steps back, or I said that wrong, two steps forward, one step back. Sometimes it feels like one step forward, two steps back. Sometimes we find our faith really low and barely alive and barely functioning. But listen to how Peter talks about it in 1 Peter. It says this, For this reason, make it every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith grows. Their faith wasn't lacking. There, there was just more and more and more their faith could do. Let me show you this. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul writes this about their faith. Now, about your love for one another, we do not need to write you. Listen to this. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love 
all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Wow. That's pretty impressive. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. They already love each other. There's no one to even teach them how to do it. But there's more and more and more they can do. And I think Paul mentions love because he knows that faith is best expressed in love. That is the main indicator of our faith. It's not if we can answer the theological quiz. Uh, it's not about how much money we give. It's not about, it's about how we love. Why would I say that? Because if you're looking in your Bible, Paul just says, I want to get there and I want to supply what is lacking in your faith. And in the very next verse, what does he do? He prays about it. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. Faith and love. In Paul's letters alone, those two words are used over 30 times together. In the very opening verse of the letter, Paul writes this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith and your labor prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember at the beginning of the passage we just talked about, Paul is worrying about their faith. He sends Timothy to check on their faith. And when Timothy comes back, what does Timothy report? Does Timothy go, well, Paul, you know, I gave them the handout and uh, they filled in all the blanks correctly. And uh, I went to all their houses and I asked them what they believed about Jesus. They got it all right. So we're good to go. No, he says this, but Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought us good news about your faith and love. He told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that your faith and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. An embodied faith finds its primary expression through love. That's why Paul's praying. I'm just praying that God would help you love each other and love everyone around you. That's the key, friends. If you're sitting here this morning and you think, I'd love to grow in my faith. Not just like the things I need to believe. It's awesome to grow in that. Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, right? Like, read, grow, of course, but I really want to grow in the embodiment of faith. What should I do? Love. You should spend a season focusing on love. Love's the thread that holds all these things together, right? Endurance, encouragement, growth. It's all coming through love. You want more faith? Love more. Now, how can we do that? This morning, I want to offer up two quick, maybe practical points here at the end. The first one, how can I grow my faith? How can I ask God to grow my love and faith? How can I do that? Well, I think part of it is what Paul wanted to do, right? He wanted to get back and he wanted to see them face to face. And I think there's a reason why he sent Timothy to be there face to face because to grow in love that's what it takes. You have to be face-to-face. -face. You have to be in relationship with people. You have to be able to see them physically. If God's planted you here at Rooftop, or you want to grow in your faith, then what you should do is take the time to know people and be known by them. 
That's like the first step. I think about the disciples early in their walk with Jesus, like before Jesus called them officially. They come to Jesus and they're following him and he turns around to them and he says, what do you want? And they didn't say, oh, uh, help us answer this. Tell us all the truths about you. They said, where are you staying? Where are you staying? We want to be near you. If you want to grow in faith, you got to put yourself around other people. You got to get to know them. In some ways, that's really hard. In some ways, it's really not that hard. You might look at your calendar and say, Jeremy, I cannot add in anything else. Like, I do not have time to be in relationship with people or get to know them. If that's you, I want to cash in any pastor chips that I have in your life. And I want to say the most gentle pastoral voice that I can, that if you don't have time to love the people at your church, what are you spending your time on? As gently as I can say this, what are you investing in? If not, time to love the people near you. Now, second, maybe you've taken that step, right? Maybe you're in a small group, you're getting connected, you're knowing people, uh, you got some relationships. Then I want to encourage you to do this. Take the next step, and I want you to make other people the focus of your prayer life. Take a season, all right? Take three months and say, you know what, Lord? I'm going to pray for these three people that I know at Rooftop. I'm going to pray for them. And then start praying for them. Start eating meals with them. Write them encouraging notes throughout the week. Serve them in some practical way, maybe once a month. You just, you got three people and you go, okay, I'm going to serve this person three, one way, sorry, one practical way for the next three months. Could you, for a second, imagine what a church would look like if everyone started doing that? If everyone had people that they were praying for, that they were serving, you know what would happen? We'd start to love each other more. And you know what would happen? Our faith would grow. Because we wouldn't be focused on ourselves. We wouldn't have to hide or be afraid. We could just trust and love those around us. I, in a brief, small way, experienced this uh, last night. Um, my wife and kids are out of town. Uh, so I immediately just like go crazy and like schedule like a million different things, right? Like I just like want to be busy, want to get out and do stuff. Um, so like Saturday we had men's breakfast and then, uh, Saturday, then right after that, I went all the way out to Hazelwood, which is like, I didn't realize like 35 minutes away, uh, much to my chagrin. Um, Went out there and hung out with like old seminary friends, heard their stories, caught up on life. And then that evening, I'd been invited to go over to Eric Mills' house for a barbecue. Uh, and I'm not going to lie, I was in the car and I was like, yeah, I'm not going over there. Like, I, I love Eric. I love Nathan. I love everybody that's going to be there. They're incredible people, but I am like so tired. Like, I just, I'm worn out. I stayed up too late. I'm just going to go home. So I'm driving down the road. And then my phone beeps and I look down, it's Eric Mills. And he says, hey, here's my address. We really want to see you. So I was like, oh man, all right, all right. I'll tell you what, I'll just go for like an hour, right? I won't eat. 
I'll just get there. And then I got another text. Hey, man, here's the address. We'd love to see you. I'm like, all right, Lord, I get it. Okay. So I go there and like, I ended up staying like three hours as it happened. It's just like a great time. We got together. We heard stories about what Jesus is doing in people's lives. And we laughed and we talked about TV shows and we argued about sports and we had amazing grilled chicken wings and food and beer. Like it was just a great time together. And if I would have said, I'm too busy, I'm too tired, I don't have time, I would have missed it. And it's times like that over and over and over that build up and add up to where we can love each other. 